You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 44 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. Do you know, who does that, who does that intro, that voice? I know, he sounds familiar. <laughs> and uh, yes, welcome to episode number 44. And uh, this week, uh, just for a change, I'm not in my kitchen studio. No. We are actually in Matt Smith's conservatory studio. Yes, which I have to confess seemed a really good idea at the time. Uh, I have to be honest. It's uh, uh, well, anybody who follows the weather and that, it's a, it's Saturday morning. It is eight thirty when we started recording this today. Yes, eight thirty. Uh, and it on the tenth of January. Tenth of January. Sorry, my apologies. I was doing so well. Uh, and it's um, <laughs> when 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 we were talking about it, it was a gloriously sunny day. It was nice and warm. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that'll be really nice to sit in the conservatory and to do the podcast because I'm actually going on holiday today, which yes. is why Carlos has come to me. For we're going to cover that bit. Yeah, yes, we're, we're going to cover that. that. <laughs> but um, it's uh, uh, as I say, unfortunately, it's currently gusting around about fifty to sixty miles an hour. So apologies yeah. if you can hear a bit of unusual noise going on in the bar- background of things. It's not me punching Carlos; it is actually the roof, the, yeah, the, the roof, roof lifting, lifting off the, the conservatory. <laughs> so who knows? This could be an alfresco broadcast by the end of today. <laughs> but uh, yes. yes, it certainly is uh, very breezy here this morning, and uh, we uh, I've just looked. I looked online this morning and. Uh, there are a few issues at some of the airports around the UK, yes, yeah. uh, with the winds being as strong as they are. Oh dear, really? Yes. How, how serious? Oh, there, there's been a few um, um, sort of flights been delayed slightly by uh, by no, wind. None from Luton. No, none from Luton. Right, good. No, um, no. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're safe. Because it's all about me. It understand. is all about you. Yeah, and and your uh, yeah, uh, trip my, with Ryanair. My, yeah, no. <clears throat> <clears throat> yes. Okay. We'll cover that later. Yes, we will. <laughs> so, uh, welcome back then. Uh, as uh, as we said, is our Second uh, second episode of 2015. Yep, and uh, we've got uh, quite a few bits of news stories to go mm, through. Yeah, busy week, busy, busy week. week. It has been, and uh, so we're going to kick off the show yes. as we always do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt, let's get it on. Let's get it on. jingle oh. Oh, right so a first news story kicking off this week then is on the travel weekly website and this one is regarding uh, russia's transero airlines um they're the russian airline that has the uh, distinctive livery that looks kind of like uh, kind of like an air france type livery it's kind of mm, blue it's similar and, colors isn't it yeah similar sort of colors uh, but they're a russian russian airlines they're russia's second largest carrier uh, they've received a three-year, nine billion ruble or 164 uh, million dollar credit guarantee, uh, guaranteed by the Russian government. Transero specifically thanked Russia's finance and transport ministries, as well as the Federal Air Transport Agency and the. Fin- but that's a big word, Vinish Como Bank, for supporting new guarantees for loans it, is, uh, it has with uh, government-backed uh, JSC VTB Bank. The carrier agreed to a government demand that it should freeze domestic airfares and reduce them by between 5% and 7% on routes where it is the sole operator. Transero, which has a fleet of 103 aircraft, began to implement a comprehensive set of measures in November aimed at enhancing its operational efficiency in the rapidly changing current 
business environment. Uh, Transero will increase flights to southern resorts within the Russian Federation as well as to Russia's Far East uh, from Moscow and St. Petersburg. Now, Matt, Transero, mm. uh, one of the airlines that uh, uh, has, has ordered or is ordering uh, the A380, oh. the double-decker, big, the big yes. double-decker Beastie. aircraft. And uh, they were one of the ones we covered uh, a while back in one of the news stories, and they're um, going to cram as yeah. many seats in as really? they can. Um, they're going to try and cram in at least 652 people on the A380, which is yeah, quite... Um, if it's a short haul, we should just be honest, they don't tend to use the A380 for a short haul flight, do they? No. I mean, they tend to be long haul. I mean, that, that's the only thing that worries me about cramming them in like sardines. I mean, like, <laughs> I sort of say, say, you know... I think uh, it's going to be definitely an all economy class. Yeah, I could say it's like, mm. uh, as I mentioned the word Ryanair, yeah. um, and uh, easy get, or, uh, and that, and because and, and you don't mind being packed in so much, because like, if you're using... Um, like if you're using it like like I I do to go to Ireland and things like that, it's, it's a short flight. So to be honest, you can put up with almost anything for 45, 50 minutes or, or a couple of hours, mm. you know. But I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's really going to depend on how I mean, how much legroom you're going to actually be able to give them. But to be fair, the, uh, the, there's loads of room in the three AE. Mm. Um, I mean, we flew back in economy with Qantas in October last yeah. year, and uh, because of the curvature of the fuselage. Yeah, um, there is, you know, there's, there's, there is good. It's good room. It's a good amount of room. Mm, well, it just depends what seating, I suppose, they put in. Well, so we we, um, we wait, we wait for the release of the seating plan. Then, I yes. think, really, yeah, could be interesting. So, okay. next piece of news. Okay, next story. Uh, this is with with the Mail Online. Uh, the headline: uh, This is the Daily Mail here in the UK, uh, and the best flight delay ever. Passengers hit by 22-hour wait to return to the UK get to see in the new year on the beach in Mexico. That's oh. a bit of all right, doesn't it? <laughs> How terrible! <laughs> I can imagine. Yes, a Thompson flight hit by a 22-hour delay from Cancun, Mexico to Gatwick saw passengers celebrating the new year on the beach instead of in the air. The flight was due to depart from Cancun at 10 past 4pm local time on New Year's Eve and fly overnight to arrive in London in London at 7.05 on New Year's Day. But instead, passengers spent New Year's Eve in a hotel in Mexico's Caribbean coast. After problems with the scheduling of cabin staff for the plane apparently being delayed uh, to Sweden, uh, meant the aircraft was left sitting on the runway. Now, funny story here... Because as many of you may know, I'm actually a coach driver. Yes. One of my students, who I take to and from school, um, did actually fly home with Thompson on New Year's Day. Oh. Now, I'm going to have to have a chat with him and see if I can find out. Because he described this whole, because the problem was due to cabin staff and that mm, kind of thing. Yeah. So it sounds like the same flight. So I think we ought to look into I, I'm going to look into that a little bit more because I may actually have... Somebody who was on the flight <laughs> that we might get inside info. info, so we'll have to have have a look. But I mean, of all, it's not really not a. Bad I mean, if you're going to be have, if you're going to yeah. be delayed, yeah, you know, you've got yeah. the choice of a, the floor of an airport mm-hmm. or yes. the beach in Mexico or anywhere in the UK <laughs> uh, or a beach in Mexico. Yes. Well, yes, I know which one I think I'd choose. So. Definitely, definitely did really rather well there. <laughs> Lucky Thompson passengers. If I wonder whether they still ask for compensation. Mm. Oh, mm. I, I would imagine. Well, we're British, of course we yeah, did. Of yes. course. <laughs> so next story then, yep. BBC News Highland and Islands site, this was on BBC News, uh, Flybe are suspending their Inverness to London service. So Flybe is uh, going to be suspending uh, their Inverness to London service due to lack of demand. 
Uh, spokeswoman said the airline was regrettably stopping the service from Sunday the 22nd of February due to lower than anticipated passenger numbers. However, the number of flights from Edinburgh to London City will increase to six a day as Flybe said that they had proved popular with customers. A spokeswoman said Flybe constantly reviews its schedule as part of disciplined, uh, it's a disciplined approach to growth. She added that as a result, Flybe is regrettably suspending the Inverness to London City service with effect from Sunday the 22nd of February. Overall, Flybe expects, its, uh, expects to fly at least half a million passengers annually on its routes to and from London City Airport. These services provide direct links across the UK and Ireland into the heart of London and offer a faster and cheaper alternative to road and rail and uh, ferry travel. Mm, so it's good news for Edinburgh, but not, not so good for yeah, Inverness. Yeah, not so good for Inverness, people mm. living there. Um, it's a popular popular airline, Flybe, is mm. now for the, for the short uh, hops. They fly out of Norwich, don't mm, they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a shame that uh, they'll lose that service. Mm. Um, well, I suppose I suppose they've now got extra capacity, so they can easily lay on extra flight flights from from Edinburgh. I guess. Yes, so, yeah. hence the adding adding the extra extra plane. But do love that colour, the flyby livery there, the uh, purple. It is good. I is do purple? like that. Yeah. The, do you like the colour? Is that purple? Are you it's sure? Kind of it's a little lilac. More of a dark blue. No, it is a purple. It's a purple <laughs> colour. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's yeah. better than their 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 previous uh, paint. Oh, really? Job. Why? What was yeah. it? What was it? It's a sort of a bland white and, oh. and blue. Yeah. It's definitely better. I like simple though. No. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> but enough about me. <laughs> okay. Ooh, right. This is an unusual site. Where's this? The Caribbean Journal. Where to get you, you in find... to get you in the holiday Hold mood. Me. Where do I find these? I'm going to Lanzarote. It's not really. It's not really <laughs> okay. the Caribbean, is it? Anyway. Uh, this. So this is. Uh, Caribbean Journal, and the headline on this story is Virgin Atlantic set to launch new service to Tobago. Um, Virgin Atlantic is set to launch a service from London Gatwick Airport to the Caribbean island of Tobago. The service will launch beginning in March and will operate at as an additional sector between the carrier's non-stop St Lucia service. That means a short stop in St Lucia before the flight continues to Tobago. The flight will operate weekly on Sunday mornings between March and October and on Tuesdays and Saturdays beginning in October. In a statement, Virgin said that the addition of the flight came in response to an opening in the market. Uh, the Caribbean has long been at the heart of our leisure operation and we're really excited to be offering our customers flights to beautiful Tobago once again, said Joe Thompson, Director of Network and Alliances at Virgin Atlantic. We are always looking for opportunities to grow our network and provide our customers with even more travel options and with other routes we're drawing from this route. We believe our new service will be very popular with British holidaymakers. The flights will operate on an Airbus A330-300 aircraft with 33 upper class, 48 premium uh, economy and 185 economy seats. Virgin Atlantic currently operates 23 peak return flights a week across the Caribbean. So I wonder who's pulled out then. Does it, sound, it sounds like somebody who was doing a similar route has pulled out. Yeah, it says opening in the market. So mm, yeah, yes. perhaps someone's uh, not 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 going to do that anymore. No, indeed. Yeah, we'll, we'll perhaps we'll look into that. Um, more information may come apparent. But uh, it's still Tobago. Like, where is where where is Tobago? Trinidad. Oh, oh uh, yeah, warm there. Sort of Caribbean sort of place. It's, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, sounds yeah. like a nice place to go on holiday. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
So next piece of news on the BBC News UK site, this one. Yeah. Um, this is good news for you, Matt, because you're not flying from here today. I'm not. Um, <laughs> stands to delays after Ryanair passengers go through the wrong door. <laughs> uh, passengers at Stansted Airport were delayed by up to an hour on Sunday after people arriving on a Ryanair flight went through an exit door uh, left open in error. Stansted passengers uh, arriving on the Lisbon flight at 9.20 in the morning had to be processed by departures security before moving to arrivals, causing delays. Rana said its crew had disembarked the passengers to the assigned gate. An investigation into the incident is being conducted by the airport, and a Ryanair spokesman said the crew of this flight correctly directed disembarking customers to the assigned gate. However, customers entered the airport through a door which had been left open in error. Ryanair fully cooperated with Stansted Airport as it rescreened departing, uh, departing passengers. A number of flights were delayed throughout the day during to the earlier issue or due to earlier issues with de-icing facilities as well. Uh, Kevin Watt from Corby, Northamptonshire, said he had dropped off his daughter at Stansted at around 11 uh, o'clock in the morning because she was flying to Barcelona. When we arrived, we saw a massive queue, he said. My daughter checked in and I stood at the security queue and the queue just kept on growing and growing. We eventually got to the top of the queue, but we were delayed by an hour, and uh, my daughter's flight was uh, for 12.45. Wow. And just looking at the picture here on the side <coughs> of the queues. It does look busier than <laughs> usual. It looks yes. rather busy. Yeah. I, I guess in Ryan, in defence of Ryanair, though, I mean, this, it doesn't sound like their error. I've got to be honest. Yeah. Um, it sounds like someone at the secu- airport. Yeah, the, yeah, the airport security has made the error here by the sound of it. Uh, I'm just sort of trying to read between the lines there. There's one thing I, mean, I hate is queuing. <clears throat> really? Same right. as you. Don't like Re- well, yes, that's true. Yes, I mean, we're supposed to be very good at it being British, no, of course. No, we're no, expected no. to queue. And no, nobody does a queue like we do, to be fair. Mm. I mean, you know, you know. Do you know what I've done the last few times mm. at, uh, at Stansford? Uh, was it Stansford we done? I think it was Stansford or Gatwick. Yeah. I think we've done it, definitely at Heathrow we've done it last year. <clears> was um, pay that, I think it was 10 or 12 quid. Yeah. And you fast track through a, a separate security lane yeah, with that, no queue that does sound like something you and i, do, and I yes. have to say it was probably the best i think it was, it was 10 or 12 pounds i think right but it was the best 12 pound i spent really? that day okay. oh, because holiday, we yeah. walked past literally hundreds of people queuing up to go through the mm. screening the x-ray screening and the door and stuff like that i know but so, you, t- you tend to use a slightly more quality airline shall we say than the ones that the, are, well, than the no. ones that i use i mean i'm not entirely but, sure but this, that the, this is the a, experience this is, would be the same with Ryanair, for example. But this is the airport part of things. It's, oh, right. This has nothing to do with the, uh, the, the airline. airline. This, oh. is, this is purely the airport security. And they, <laughs> they do have these sort of, I forget what they call them, they call them a VIP type lane. Yeah. But you pay your, your premium and you can mm. fast track through. But they are worth it. I'm so worth it. I'm not interested unless there's a lounge waiting for me at no. the other end, frankly. No. <laughs> I, might, no. I might as well stick with cattle class unless there's, you know, something <laughs> delightful to it. You know, unless, unless there's a glass of champagne at the end of it for me. I'm, I'm no longer interested. If I was in charge, Matt, <laughs> I'd get you a glass of champagne. Excellent. Thank you very much. Okay, on to the next story then. Uh, this is in the Liverpool Echo. Echo. Uh, and new Channel 5 documentary based at Liverpool John Lennon Airport to start filming in the next few weeks. So this is a, this is a bit of a, um, what was the um, Come Fly With Me or whatever it was? Um, was, that? was, that there was, was one that was based at um, 
Oh, that was based at Luton. That, that was, was Luton. based at Luton. That was Luton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that was like EasyJet. I think they were following a lot of the time, wasn't it? Anyway, by the by, uh, that's not the story. This is uh, a new Channel Five documentary series based at the Liverpool St John. Uh, St John, no, the Liverpool John Lennon Airport will start filming in the next few weeks. The primetime show, which has uh, a working title of Holiday Airport, will focus on passengers' experiences at the start and end of their trips abroad. It will also feature some of the characters working at the airport as they go about their daily tasks as well as looking behind the scenes at how the airport operates. The programme, being created by Bristol-based production company uh, Film Soul Productions, is likely to draw comparisons with BBC's hugely popular fly-on-the-wall documentary Airport filmed at London Heathrow. Liverpool features featured in the series uh, uh, following EasyJet staff on airline. Passengers interested in being involved in the series are now being sought ahead of the shooting, with contact details for casting posted on the airport's website. Uh, Filming will take place over the next few months, with the show likely to be broadcast this summer. And Anne and uh, Robin Tudor, head of PR at Liverpool John John Lennon Airport, today said the series was a great opportunity to showcase what the airport is all about. He said, we've been told it's going to be very very much a a feel-good programme about how people's holidays start and end at the airport. Um, I think they're a bit naive if they think it's going to be all good um, rosy though. yeah i mean do you, do you t- remember TV, tv producers are, are quite famous for twisting stories as to their advantage for dramatic effect and I, I remember <laughs> the series when it was on telly the, the series airline yes when they based that round easy I used to love it. and it was a brilliant series and, yeah. you, and the and the uh the scrapes that the uh, staff used to get in with passengers who were oh, yeah, who were rather yeah. irate yes <laughs> Actually, you say that though quite often when you when you watch these things. I mean that that, that that's adjusted the way that I I tend to be if I'm at an airport because you, because you've seen programs like this, you've got a rough idea of what it's like for them. You know, on you know you you get to see it from the other side because you're very upset because your flight's been delayed and all these all manner of bad things are apparently and your entire world evolves around your experience at the airport. But um, ooh, hello. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the trees. Are, the yeah. trees are um, starting to come through the conservatory then, roof. Uh, uh, carry yes. on. Yeah, anyway, yes. <laughs> I, I've lost the thread. It wasn't that interesting. Anyway, we'll move on, shall we? Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So we'll move on. He's doing well today. Yeah. Bless him. Uh, next, I, I'm, next... in, I'm, in, I'm in holiday mode already. I know so. he's, he's going on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I dislike you. Um, business Traveller site, this one. And uh, Cathay Pacific and Flybe are expanding their code share agreement. Ah. So Cathay Pacific and Flybe have extended their code share agreement on flights between Amsterdam and Paris and four UK destinations. The deal will see Cathay place its CX code on selected flyby services between Schiphol and Birmingham and Southampton. Uh, between Paris, Charles de Gaulle, Birmingham, Manchester and Exeter. The new code share routes are now available to book for travelling beginning on January the 12th, which is well, that's two days' time. Mm. The move marks the first time that Birmingham Airport is included in Cathay Pacific's code share network. It builds on Cathay and Flybe's existing code share agreement covering uh, Flybe domestic services between Manchester and Aberdeen, Belfast, Edinburgh, Exeter, Inverness, Southampton and the Isle of Man. Now, I seem to remember, didn't didn't we have something very similar um, about, uh, was it about a month ago, something like that? And 
I think it was um, uh, was it Hong Kong something like that. There was they, they, Cathay Pacific were were doing a co-chair with someone else. Uh, I can't remember. Or was I remember it the same it, company. It, 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 we did. I can't remember what that was. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's becoming more. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? In mm. in this uh, particular in, in in financial climate. But I Cathay suppose. are quite a huge airline, right? And Flybe are quite a very small airline, <laughs> right? So it's good. It must be good for Flybe. Yeah, yeah not, maybe good. not. Maybe not quite so interesting to Cathay Pacific. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there we are. Never mind. They're doing it. As I say, it's keeping keeping runs active, isn't it? So yes, it's, it's all good. Right. Oh. Very local this one yes, then. Very so this local is from our story. local newspaper, uh, the EDP, uh, or EDP24 as the online service is known. And uh, security staff transferred to Norwich International Airport as Wilson James deal ends. Ooh, what's this? Right, okay. So about 60 staff were told on Monday that they would now be managed by the airport uh, after being transferred from security services company Wilson James. The move means that the airport is now in line with the policy of its owner's regional and city airport group, which bought the transport hub in June last year. It comes after security staff threatened to walk out of the airport earlier this year in the wake of a pay dispute with Wilson James. Andrew Bell, chief executive of Norwich International Airport, said that the decision to end the contract early was to help staff make a smooth transition ahead of a busy spring and summer schedule. He said the security function has been transferred back to the airport and staff that were providing that function before um, are now uh, employees of the airport directly. The reason we have done this is because the airport has aligned itself to plan to, to the plan of the new group. So it's basically no longer privately owned, that's what they're mm. sort of saying. Um, I'm surprised more airlines don't you know more airports don't do that anyway i mean you've only got to look at several uh hiccups i suppose like for, for our point of view with the olympics wasn't it i mean was it g4 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 yeah. yeah and and that ended up having to be more or less covered by the army because they just mm. couldn't get the the resources involved but the things. chap the chap in the picture there yeah andrew bell the chief yeah. executive at norwich airport hopefully this year we should uh hopefully get a, uh, an interview with him that oh, chap yeah, yeah which would be good yeah well we can ask him about it's that. an it's in the pipeline Excellent. Excellent. Good. Keep working. Keep, Keep working. I know. <laughs> so next story, and uh, this one is on the Travel Weekly site, and this one is a British boy is banned from flight over nut allergy. So a British boy and his parents were reportedly banned from boarding a flight home from holiday in Florida after they mentioned that he had a nut allergy. Daniel Levitan, 11, from St Albans, Hertfordshire, suffered an allergic reaction as a baby as his, um, and his parents, Howard and Judith, have kept him away from nuts ever since. Daniel has flown on previous holidays without problems but was stopped from boarding the American Airlines flight as the family prepared to return from a winter break. His parents mentioned his allergy when booking the holiday through British Airways but when they were requested an, an announcement asking other passengers not to eat nuts on the internal American Airlines flight from Fort Myers in Florida to Dallas, they were told they could not board. The family were escorted from the airport and had their tickets cancelled, the Times reported. A staff member on the way out said American, uh, Americans have the right to eat nuts. They had to spend an extra two nights in Florida arranging an alternative flight. The family have logged a complaint through their travel agent and a BA spokesman said that the dispute was a matter for American Airlines. Well, yes and no, but if it was booked through British Airways, I mean, sure, and, and, and it was reported that the, the child had a nut allergy, 
then I, I don't see how British Airways can uh, just I, wash I, their hands. I can't. Really. I, I think it's an absolutely ridiculous story. I really do. I mean, I see, I see the point with the allergy things because I know a couple of people I work with, yeah. and they've got allergies to, to certain nuts. Yeah. And when they, if they do eat one, they. Well, they just yeah, but they're not stupid enough to know that you know. All right, they, it might mean that they can't have an in-flight meal or something like that. I but think I mean, it depends as well on how intense the allergy is, yeah. because you know, someone with nuts and that allergy could sit next to a person eating nuts and would, right. wouldn't, yeah, you know, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't flare no. up. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you're sitting there throwing nuts at someone. That's obviously yeah. a different yeah. story. But and this they is accidentally swallow one, yes. and then, then it could all go horribly. But wrong. this is just bizarre. I mean, I I hope they get some sort of compensation, really, because I think yeah. it's a bit nasty, a bit. Um, you know, because this is something you can't just turn off. Uh, I, I try trying to look at it from maybe the airline's point of view. There, mm. I, I suppose at the same time, you, you, the last thing they need is a child with a massive nut allergy yeah. whilst they're on a plane. But then, presumably, if the child has that allergy, um, I mean, I guess the only issue for me would be that it was when he was a small child. It depends on whether the mm. the allergy is being managed. I mean, if if the child is carrying an EpiPen, for example, then it's not a problem. Um, you know, you can just sort of. You can just sort of have the, you know, have the. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm making it a really light of a, a serious situation, but there are, you know, procedures in, in place like epipens and things that would enable it to be less. But there are tests you can have done though to find out really? exactly what uh, particular nuts. So I must just to. say it's so funny because my my little companion Alfie, who who lives here at uh, Bluebell HQ, um, is uh, just staring at us through the conservatory door, wondering what on earth we are doing. Poor little doggy. <laughs> He's just, oh dear, never mind. He said, My bed's in there. What's going on? Oh, poor Alfie. <laughs> anyway, right, so right, we are on to the uh, independence Independent now. Yes. Uh, and BA Dreamliner lands safely at Heathrow after declaring urgent safety condition. Ah, is this. No. No, no, this is no. a new one. This oh, is, is it? Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. A British Airways Dreamliner has touched down safely at Heathrow after declaring a pan a level of urgency short of a full-scale emergency. It is believed one of the engines had been shut down. Flight BA-103, a routine service from Calgary, had taken off from the airport shortly after 4pm with 213 passengers on board. The Boeing 787 had travelled around 120 miles northwest and was over Derbyshire uh, at a height of 35,000 feet when it turned around to uh, head back towards the London area. The jet flew circuits over Buckinghamshire in order to burn fuel before landing. It's understood the captain declared a pan, indicating an urgent safety concern, but not a full-scale emergency that uh, a Mayday call would uh, signify. In a statement, British Airways said the flight crew requested a priority landing as a precaution. Were it a full-scale emergency, the aircraft would have landed at Manchester. The fact that the crew chose to return to Heathrow indicates that they and staff on the ground were confident of a safe landing at the airline's main base. An aircraft landed without problem at 5.26 and passengers disembarked as per normal. The airline said, Our engineers are now inspecting the aircraft. Safety is always our highest priority. It is believed uh, to be the first serious incident involving a British Airways 787. The Dreamliner has uh, had a troubled history. Uh, it entered service after a problem hit um, gestation in uh, October 2011, but two years ago was temporarily grounded worldwide because of safety concerns about the airline's batteries. In an unrelated incident, an empty Ethiopian airline 787 caught fire at Heathrow in July 2013. 
Separately, British Airways has cancelled 24 domestic and Irish flights to and from London airports as a result of high winds in Northern Britain and Ireland. Passengers are being offered refunds or the opportunity to rebook. Now, this this particular aircraft in question, yes, uh, seven eight seven eight hundred. And it was uh, there. So just, just explain to me because I, I get the the seven eight seven bit. So that's obviously mm. the specific type, but that's the dream dreamliner type. Yeah. What does the dash number? So like the, the three hundred um, or the eight hundred? What, what what does I mean? What that what they mean is, is that a configuration? No, no. Of, it, it's uh, it's a model. It's a model number. So right. you've got. Um, I mean, this, when the seven three sevens first came out initially, there was uh, the seven three the standard seven three seven. They had a they had a hundred series, but it was a two hundred series yeah. they had, which was. It was first built in the early seventies. Yeah. Those ones, and then the three hundreds came out, then the four hundreds, and as the number gets higher, it, it normally tends to say that the the passenger number increases on the aircraft, right. gets bigger, okay, and obviously the internals are better, right? So like this, the the original seven three seven two hundred had steam gauges, what we like to call steam gauges, as in right. dials. Right, okay, okay. yeah. Steam Whereas gauges. the uh, 737 You see, I've got an image of a boiler now somewhere <laughs> with, with you. <laughs> anyway, yes. But the, the 400 series um, of 737 hmm. had what they call gla- a glass cockpit, which is, is, is little compute, little screens, right. little display screens. Okay. Rather than gauges, yeah. they combined all the gauges, like some of the gauges into one screen. Right. Um, and then obviously when you get to nowadays, get to we're on uh, the 737, 900 mm-hmm. is, is one of the latest ones. So it's basically ones. a version number. So is, that, yeah, is that the best way to describe best it? Best way yeah. to describe it. Right. But the new, the newest one, the 900, yeah. is pretty much a gla- whole glass cockpit. There's no, really? there's Just hardly any LCD gales. Screen. It's LCD yeah. screens everywhere. <laughs> awesome. um, and actually the 787, the Dreamliner here, yeah. um, actually, Matt, you might not, you know, you'll find this marvelous will I? has um, challenge accepted had has head up display the Ooh, pilots has a, right. a screen that pulls down in front yes. of the pilot and it displays information in front of them uh, as they're looking through the window they can see the information in front of them on a on a head up display <laughs> a bit similar to a fighter jet right yeah variety hopefully not that similar though no, no 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 <laughs> minus the um, minus the bullets minus and stuff. the heavy weapon heavy weaponry yes. yeah. oh, but, uh, yes. but, no. <laughs> but no that was a trent powered rolls royce trent powered Right, uh, uh, dream on that one, that, that BA one, Trent one thousand engine. Okay. There's a Rolls, Rolls, Rolls Royce, Royce yeah, right. yeah. Oh dear, well, so well, I'm sure they'll they'll get to the bottom of it. Yes, but um, right, another, another story. This is uh, local again. This is the EDP. <laughs> oh yes, the EDP. Uh, this one is pilot who landed at Norwich Airport over the drink drive limit jailed for nine months. Oh, no, I, rem- I remember this story coming out at the time. Yes. Uh, a pilot who flew an executive jet from Spain to Norwich while hung over after a three-day drinking binge has been jailed. Ian Jennings, 47, from Gale Moor Avenue, Gosport, Hampshire, was arrested at Norwich Airport after landing a commercial chartered plane carrying a millionaire's scrap metal mogul Andre Suries along with a woman and three teenage girls. The police breathalyzed Jennings on October the 30th and he smelt strongly of alcohol and seemed nervous, Norwich Crown Court heard. He was found to be three times over the legal limit for a pilot. Uh, Jennings, who admitted flying while the alcohol was uh, uh, in, uh, in his system uh, and in his, his breath, was prescribed uh, the, uh, the limit uh, at the earlier hearing and claimed that he'd only drunk three pints of lager the night before, but was told by Judge Stephen Holt that this claim did not add up. 
His barrister accepted Jennings may have fallen foul of topping up after several days of heavy drinking to uh, celebrating his engagement. So the, um, he's been sentenced then to uh, to uh, nine months uh, in jail. Well, it's, I mean, it's a good thing, isn't it? How uh, you, know, you can't have pilot. It's, it's bad enough if you're in a car. I mean, mm. admittedly, there was only four passengers on board, so I suppose it was no different to a car. But um, just interesting. Well, I, well, I, I'm glad. I'm glad, frankly. But this was a, a private jet he was in, and. Uh, it was a Canada CL six hundred one three A, which is a twin-engined uh, private jet. Um, the Canada, the calendar, or Canada, sorry, CL six hundred. It's a business class as a business jet. It's quite an old business jet, but uh, it's obviously something that me and you would uh, would wouldn't uh, go in, Mister Smith. It's <laughs> yeah, no, far too not often. unless something dramatic changes. No, in the no. Next, uh, but is still, there, what 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 is the how how does it differ to the 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 drink drive limit for a car? The, the laws are very a lot more stricter, I think. With right, um, okay, so it's almost zero tolerance, basically. I mean, off, officers detected uh, thirty one micrograms of alcohol per hundred milliliters of breath. Right. The limit for a pilot is nine micrograms. Right. So way um, over. While the limit yeah. for drivers of cars is thirty five. Right. Okay. So so driving so a car thirty five, yeah. flying a plane nine. So I think that's is... I think that's fair though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so really, it's 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 almost zero tolerance. But why, if you if you know that you're at work, so you know, I mean, why why would you be having several pints? Mm. You know, I appreciate it was his anniv- and not anniversary. Sorry, he's celebrating his engagement and things. But that's that's just crazy. That's crazy. So oh, next door, I, I say I genuinely hope that's very much an isolated. Uh, an isolated. You would incident. hope. You would hope so. Yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Next story. This is uh, Emirates. Uh, this is a- ameinfo.com, uh, and the story involves Emirates as they launch their second daily Airbus A380 service to Manchester Airport. Emirates, a global connector of people, hello, that sounds like a tagline if ever I heard one, uh, Places and Economies has announced that as of the 1st of February 2015, its EK019-020 service between Dubai International Airport and Manchester Airport, currently operated by a Boeing 777, will be replaced with an Airbus A380. The introduction of the second daily A380 means that half of Emirates' 16 daily flights to the UK will be operated by an A380 from February. The second daily A380 will increase Emirates' capacity from Manchester by 13%, with over 20% of its increase in the premium cabins. The upgraded service will feature 14 seats in first class, 76 in business class and 427 in economy class. Passengers throughout all classes can enjoy access over to over 2,000 channels of films, oh, TV yes. shows, music and games through <coughs> ICE, the uh, airline's award-winning in- in-flight entertainment system, as well as Wi-Fi connectivity and gourmet cuisine. How nice Emirates flight EK019 will depart Dubai International Airport at uh, 14.35 hours and arrive in Manchester at 18.35 hours. The outbound flight EK020 will depart Manchester Airport at 20.25 and arrive in Dubai at 07.40 hours. This just proves that Manchester is growing. It is getting big. It is getting big if they're putting another 380 service in there. I'm I'm convinced a lot of that is to do with the fact that, I mean, again, here in the UK, uh, you have two major broadcasters. You've got the BBC and you've got Mm. ITV. And most of their... um, 
uh, th- their work, if you like, moved to Manchester, mo- moved mm. to Salford about sort of two or three years ago. And I think this might have a lot to do with it um, because more and more TV programmes and, and things are being made in the Manchester sort of area mm. and that. Um, obviously, originally the company called Granada was based in there. Yeah. They now essentially are ITV. They bought everyone else out slowly and that's that's one of the main reasons why uh, I think it's so busy is because... Um, I'm yet to fly from there, from Manchester. But it's I say I've be... been. I mean, I, I think I mentioned mm. like either last time or the time before, they used to have a fantastic viewing viewing gallery that was oh, like a big dome that you man. could go, go up and you could... It was like being in your own air traffic control the good old towers because you could sort of look around because you can't you know, no, left do anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, moving on, next story. Mm-hmm. Uh, penultimate story, this one. And ah. uh, Travel Mole. And this is regarding an airport that uh, Matt will be visiting Ooh, hello. very soon. Yes, uh, in, in around about 12 hours' time. Oh, yes. yes. So, record year for Luton Airport. Really? So, Luton Airport has reported a record 10.5 million passengers in 2014 a 8.1% jump on the year before. Mm-hmm. It said the growth has helped the uh, is helped by the addition of 15 new destinations in 2014. A further 10 new routes have already been confirmed for 2015. The airport plans to increase annual capacity from 12 million to 18 million passengers by 2026 and make a number of improvements including better transport links, parking and further new which they do. Mm. Further new definitely need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's redesigning its terminal which they definitely need to do. Right. <laughs> and adding new shopping and food outlets plus a new executive lounge. CEO Nick Barton said that record passenger numbers and the launch of a new, uh, a bold new identity to mark the start of the 100 million transformation are all great platforms from which to start 2015. Okay, now I've never been to Luton Airport. Actually, no, that's not true. I have landed at Luton Airport because uh, I was flying with Ryanair. I was supposed to arrive at Stansted. It was February time and Stansted had been closed due to heavy snow. So they sent us to um, Luton. Um, to be able to land because that wasn't quite so bad and I had to catch a bus back to Stansted from, from Luton. Um, so I have flown into Luton but of course I didn't experience the um, the front end of the because uh, the, uh, um. it's a bit like Stansted, you know, if you do a domestic flight um, with Stansted what happens is they throw you out at the gate, uh, you, you get off the plane, you walk to a thing and then suddenly you're outside. You, you don't even go back into the terminal building. They literally sort of dump you off the runway out into, like, you know, suddenly you're out the front of the airport where the buses are, and you think, well, how did that happen? Yeah, it is. And Luton is very similar. It's, it is. It's, it's a bit horrific. It's like they could not get rid of you faster. I don't think there's <laughs> any way. It's, I've never felt so unwelcome in my entire life as you're sort of thrown out into the freezing cold. No, it's, it's I, I slate it. It's not that too bad of an airport. It's just a bit. It's, not, it's just a bit. Higgledy piggledy, they right. need to, uh, like I said, sort out the terminal building. Oh dear, dear. Okay, so for the last story. story, yes, this is uh, with the Daily Mail, and it's uh, from Qantas and British Airways uh, to budget carriers uh, Monarch and Thomas Cook. The safest airlines in the world have been really top is tens. This, I can say, is yeah. this a, is this a top, top ten? ten. Oh, it's a top ten. Two so, top tens. Very exciting. We'll just cover the brief. So Australia's national airline has been named the safest. So they're obviously number one. That's good, very exciting. Good. So yes, <laughs> I flew home with those early. Did on you with Qantas? Okay. Yes. So good news, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for a top ten. So uh, and. Uh, at number 10. So the number 10, top 10 of the world's safest airlines. At number 10, it's Singapore Airlines. Uh, number 9. At number 9, it's Lufthansa, our German uh, airline. Number 8. 
is Finnair, the Finnish airline. Uh, number seven. Is Eva Air. They're a Taiwanese-based uh, international airline. You in at number six. And number six, it's Etihad Airways. Number five is Emirates. Uh, number four is Cathay Pacific Airways. Ah, which we've covered earlier in the programme. Yes, we did. Uh, and number two. Uh, number two, it's... Uh, no, it's not. No, it's, it's number, number three. three. <laughs> Don't mind me. It, number three, it's British Airways. <laughs> See, this is what happened when I go off script. It's terrible. You ruined it for uh, yeah. British Airways. So. <laughs> uh, number two. At uh, number two, it's Air New Zealand. And then obviously number one we know is Qantas. Right. So the top ten safest budget carriers right okay so number 10 is westjet westjet is number 10 yes and at number nine is tui fly what tui fly there is that like tfi friday no it's uh it's one of the it's it's an airline owned by the thompson uh sort of group tui they're a german leisure airline right okay um but but they're all sort of part of sort of thompson and stuff they're joining with those number eight at number eight is thomas cook Number seven is Monarch Airlines. Number six is Kalula.com. Who? Uh, they're an airline that have a absolutely awesome um, paint job on their aircraft. Oh, right. Um, they're kind of... Um, they kind of have weird designs and, and writing on their aircraft, but uh, they're based in South Africa, Kalula. All right. Uh, Johannesburg, just outside Johannesburg. Anyway, number five is Jetstar. Number four is JetBlue. Never heard of either of those. Number three. God, they're they're huge in the US. Are they? Yes. Uh, Number three. uh, Iceland Air in at number three. I've heard of them. Uh, Number two. Alaska Airlines. Right. Awesome, awesome tail art on their aircraft. And number one. Number one. I didn't see this one coming. Aer Lingus is the safest budget carrier. Aer Lingus. Right. Who are they? Erlinger. Oh, come on. Do you know what? I'm going to have to walk around this table and give you a slap, Mr. Smith. Erlingus yes. are, um, they're sort of Ryanair's sort of um, um, adversary. Or adversary. Oh, right. Or, en- enemies. Enemies, right. yes. Right, okay. Yes. Uh, actually, it's worth noting that there isn't a Ryanair in there, which is... No, I was then about to say, <laughs> I was then about to say that uh, Ryanair didn't make it into this yeah. top 10 or easy to budget character. No, that is kind of strange. Which I'm surprised about, actually. The uh, source for these uh, these top 10s are from the airlineratings.com site. Right. Oh. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's... Oh, blimey. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, uh, well, it's just, well that's, uh, as I say, it's good. Well, good news for Aer Lingus then. Definitely, yeah. Um, it's good, good PR for them. Yeah, well, definitely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that concludes the news. Then it um, certainly does for this week. Um, we're just going to have a quick uh, cup of tea. Yes, and uh, we're going to we're going to come back and we've got uh, a segment from Pilot Pip. He's sent us Ooh. in a segment for this week's show. It's cool. only a short segment from Pip, yep. but uh, he does promise to send in. Uh, more lengthier segments uh, uh, for later shows. But we do have a segment from Pilot Pip, so that's we're going to bring that to you and with the usual banner of some military news mm-hmm. and stuff after this. Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you.
that's rather low flying that one hello what was hello that? <laughs> <laughs> bit of a fly over there from my jet yes you oh, know dear. that's, that's how, what happens around these parts here you see. Uh. so we're back then after uh having a coffee Coffee and um, half-time snuggles coffee. with the dog. Yes, yes. yes. Alfie came and had <laughs> uh, had a chat with me. Yeah, bless him. He's a lovely dog. He, he really is. is. He's quite nice. Yes, he's 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 a, he's a proper he's a proper for a Jack Russell. He's so chilled out. Really, he is. Yeah, very chilled out, Jack yeah. Russell. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we've got uh, a few uh, military news stories uh, to bring you this week. Not many, but we've got a few good ones. Yeah. Uh, so if you're ready, Matt. Yeah, ready as ever. Let's go. And so we have a few military stories. So you want to, do you want to kick us off this week? Yeah, Matt? certainly. This is for as usual, really. With these, this is the uh, flight global. Uh, U.S. DoD commands uh, confirm. No, it doesn't command anything. He confirms uh, two F thirty five squadrons will be based in the UK. Wow! Ah, right. Um, that's um, that's good news, really. Considering some news locally. Um, in the fact that RAF Milton Hall is to close, mm. uh, that's uh, and F thirty five squadrons as well. Really, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The U.S. Department of Defense has confirmed it will place two squadrons of its Lockheed Martin F thirty fives at RAF Lakenheath, marking the first confirmed European basing of American Joint Strike fighters. The RAF base in Suffolk will house two U.S. squadrons in order to maintain uh, the USA's air power presence in the UK. The fighters are expected to be on station around 2020. Today we announced that we will permanently place the F-35 in Europe. Derek Collett, Assistant uh, Secretary of Defence for International Security Affairs at the DOD, told a press briefing at the Pentagon on the 8th of January. The presence of the F-35 at Lake and Heath will allow for greater training and wider support, he adds. The 48th Operations Group, which provides five squadrons of Boeing F-15s, CD and E fighters, uh, and the Sikorsky HH-60G helicopters, which are currently stationed there already. In parallel with announcing the F-35 overseas basing, the, the DoD also revealed plans to consolidate some of its personnel and assets presently stationed in Europe. The most significant decision uh, made was that was to pass RAF Mildenhall in Suffolk back to the RAF and relocate uh, US units uh, based there uh, to other areas in Europe. RAF Alcombe and RAF Molesworth in Cambridgeshire will also be um, um, divested in a large part of bases operations transferring to RAF Croughton in Northamptonshire. The DOD's European Infrastructure Consolidation Review began two years ago aiming to establish how bases around uh, abroad could be streamlined to reduce obsolescence and provide cost savings uh, leading to the closures. If I'm brutally honest, I'm surprised this hasn't happened sooner, uh, really. I mean, the, the Americans have sort of perhaps done better uh, than us with regards to um, the financial situation, shall we say? But mm. um, I, I mean, it had to come at some point, really. No, it's uh, good. It's I'm surprised good. it was Mildenhall. Mm. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't close sort of some because there's, there's the sort of smaller one, sort of Cambridgeshire way, isn't there? That, that I'm surprised wasn't sort of shut. But um, I still haven't seen this aircraft yet either. What the F-35? No. Yeah, it's. Uh, it was due to be at the air shows in 2014, but um, yeah. due it, to uh, due to certain issues. Is this a um, 
normally on a this, this song sort of like a, a this is brand new this chair right okay yeah, it's been undeveloped uh, under development for a, for a while but it's been hit by because uh, the picture I'm looking at here is actually on a carrier is that more it's what yes it's well designed the F thirty five is if is uh, t- to 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 put it in easy terms the F thirty five is kind of like a a very new and very much um, a shiny and new right. carrier right ah oh. so it can take off vertically. Uh, and land yeah. uh, on carriers, um, but it looks stunning. It's a stunning yeah. looking. Yeah, I saw the mock up yeah. at um, at Farnborough this uh, last year. Yeah, um, because the real one wasn't there, unfortunately. Oh uh, right. Um, but fingers crossed, this year we shall see the F thirty five at some air shows around the UK. So, and, and are they going to base two squadrons of of the F thirty fives at Lakenheath? Yes, which is good news. Yeah. Right, so moving on then, the next story we have uh, is a good news story. Ooh, it's on the I Royal, like a good news yeah, story. Yes, yes. The Royal Air Force uh, site, this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, good news because hopefully, fingers crossed, Matt will be coming with me this yep. year uh, here. And uh, the Air Tattoo are uh, to welcome an aviation icon this year. Right. So uh, one of the world's most iconic aircraft will touch down at RAF Fairford in the Cotswolds this summer to take part in the Royal International Air Tattoo. Vulcan XH558 is the only flying example of this large Cold War bomber. Having been restored to flying condition in 2007 following a public fundraising campaign by Vulcan to the Sky Trust. Since then, displays by the aircraft demonstrating both its grace and immense power have been among the most eagerly anticipated on the UK airshow circuit. Based at Robin Hood Airport in Doncaster, XH558 is the first aircraft to be confirmed for the airshow, which takes place on July the 17th and 19th, uh, 17th through to the 19th uh, this year. Named the Spirit of Great Britain, Vulcan XH558 will fly into the RAF Fairford uh, display on Friday, the July the 17th, for a special pit experience day, offering people close access to the aircraft and the opportunity to meet members of the Vulcan to the Sky team and a dedicated band of volunteers who help to keep the aircraft airborne. The aircraft will perform two flying uh, displays during its visit, one on the Saturday, July the 18th, and the other on Sunday, the July the 19th. Weekend visitors will also be given the opportunity to visit her on the ground in return for a small donation to the uh, Vulcan to the Sky uh, Trust. Air Tattoo Chief Executive Andy Armstrong said the Vulcan is arguably the most uh, popular historic aircraft flying today. And I'm delighted that we are able to welcome her back to the air tattoo this summer. So this is amazing news, brilliant yeah. news. Now, um, when we we went to, as I'm sure we've covered several times, and I sent you a um, a thing, didn't I? When I went to Waddington, uh, and one of the uh, one one of the, they had a big thing, obviously about the Vulcan. The Vulcan was there at the Waddington um, 2014 show. And I have to be honest, it, it I've never heard a noise like mm. it. Oh yeah. I mean, my ears hurt. I mean, especially when it was sort of, and this so it was so quick. That's what, I couldn't get over how quickly it was, you know, shooting across the sky. Given the size of it, and and I mean, a, a really, really an amazing aircraft. To say it's the noise, that's the one thing that I shall. Uh, They've but, extended there because the, the Vulcan was um, gonna probably or possibly not do do air shows anymore. Yeah. And become just purely ground based. Mm. But uh, they uh, have altered the display pattern they do, the right. uh, kind of uh, display types they do, mm-hmm. 
to put less stress on the engines. Right, okay. Because um, the engines are which are going to, yeah. one of the things that are going to stop the Vulcan from flying eventually. Yeah. So they're doing a different kind of display. Yeah. Still looks good, but, but uses I, less engine performance to. But uh, I, I mean. I mean, I'm not. As I say, I mean, I'm I'm learning more and more about um, you know planes and, and and things as as this podcast goes on week by week. But for me, to be honest, the, the Vulcan, it's more about seeing the thing in the air. I don't care if it's doing you know aerobics of of any kind. I just <laughs> I just want to see it in the air. Yeah, you know, I want to yeah. hear it. I don't. I don't even if it just does a you know as long as it banks left and banks right so that mm. you can get a good oh, yeah. look of the underneath if you got your binoculars on. But I mean, you know. The, the military aircraft, especially sort of you know historical ones like that, it's the same with um, the Vulcan. It's the same with the Spitfire and that. I don't care if it's doing fancy manoeuvres. I just want to see the thing in the air. Yeah, definitely. You know, I don't want to see it on the ground, static. I mean, they're designed to fly, aren't they? You, yeah. you really, you really want to see them up in the air. So I, I, I applaud that. that I'd, I'd rather they did that and keep it in the air much, yeah, much longer. Definitely. You know what I mean? For it's, this year, well, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not worth it. So, so, but yeah, it, worth mentioning. Well, if, if you haven't seen it, then make sure you make do. Make sure you get to the air shows. Yeah. Time may be limited on, this, on um, then. The uh, Vulcan's powered by four Bristol Olympus uh, right. turbojets, each producing 11,000 pounds of thrust each. That'll be where the noise comes from. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, why, why is it um, why, why is, why is it sort of life, you know, sort of doomed almost? I mean, it's, well, it's after so many thousands or so many hours, the right. engines um, have to be completely okay. stripped and rebuilt. And that costs a, a lot, lot of, of money, money, a right, lot yeah. of money. Oh, that's a shame. Um, airframe, right? Uh, Airframe-wise, uh, yeah. you know, the airframe is, is in good, in very good condition. Obviously, yeah. it's looked as long after. as it's treated, and but obviously the up, engines yeah. are the, the they are moving <laughs> parts, they are and they, the parts yeah. that are needed. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you know, if it, maybe if they put an appeal out again, and and that maybe that maybe sort of money can be raised to help try and. Sort of rebuild it, even if it means it's out of commission for five or six years. Maybe you know. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather. It's purely funded by yeah. donations. Yeah, that's yeah. the sad thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's not uh, you know the, the government or the you know the, the Royal mm. Air Force don't sort of plow they money have, into it, this. In fair to them, um, they have to draw the line somewhere, yeah. though, don't they? I mean, it's. Uh, you know, it's all very sad. Anyway, on to our next story. This is uh, from the RAF, the Royal Air Force website uh, again, and it's. Um, it's uh, f- uh, uh, an article on the four typhoon formation. Uh, Aircrew and support staff currently travelling on the Exercise Red Flag Trail from the Royal Air Force Bryce Norton to Nevada got a rare glimpse of four typhoon formation flights out of their windows. The four typhoons flying alongside Bryce Norton Voyager aircraft were halfway through the second leg of their trial from the Azores from the Azores to Bermuda. Usually, the four typhoons would split uh, into syndicates of two, flying at varying distances from the Voyager, depending on the weather conditions. The reason for this is due to turbulence that is created on the latter. Um, jets uh, in a formation of four. On this occasion we found ourselves with a break in the weather and we got to see a rare glimpse of four of the world's most advanced fighters lined up side by side at over 25,000 feet in the air. In this case uh, we can see from front to back uh, that's describing a photograph that's going to work really well on radio so we'll move on (laughs) From that, uh, the four jets all found themselves engaging in air-to-air refueling, refueling on this, the longest of the four legs, uh, due to 130-knot uh, headwinds. The trip 
from the Azores to Bermuda took over six hours, with the pilots needing some much-needed rest once they touched down. So that's a that's an interesting story, actually. Nice to see them sort of. There's a great photo here. If you get, uh, I'll, I'll make sure. Carlos, if you if you put that on the Facebook page, um, there's a great photo. Lovely of photo, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. and so rare because it's so rare to see them sort of flying side by side, so close together. I mean, it's really, um, it's really nice to say due to turbulence and things they yeah. can't normally, but the, you know, it's the magic of the right conditions at the right time, isn't it? That's a nice little story. That is. So, last story, uh, flight global, and we have. Do you know what? we've got another top ten? This oh, is, that's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah, it's On the military good. side, uh, strength in numbers, the world's top 10 military aircraft types. Oh, okay. uh, so we're going to uh, start off then uh, at num- number 10. So at number 10, the top military aircraft, we've got the Sukhoi Su-27. Um, it's a Russian-built Sukhoi 27 fighter jet uh, in use in 15 countries. So that one. And next... Uh, number nine. At number nine, it's the Boeing CH-47 uh, Chinook, uh, la- flown in large numbers by the U.S. military, uh, which has 534 of these aircraft in all these helicopters in use. And uh, it's also been used by Canada, Italy, the Netherlands, the United Arab Emirates, and the U.K. They are a weird-looking aircraft, though, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, they are. It's, it's the sort of the, the two. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're very manoeuvrable, which is why they're, they're awesome. they are real they're beasts, awesome. aren't they? At number eight. So at number eight, it's the Mil Mi-24. This one's a Russian-built Soviet era, uh, the Mi-24 Hind. Uh, It's uh, definitely a formidable assault helicopter, that one. Very, very, very menacing looking. Number seven. At number seven, it's one we should all know. It's the Boeing AH-64 Apache attack helicopter. Uh, Uh, Its latest model being the production E model. Saw, Saw that at yeah, I know. It's awesome, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> At number six. Number six. Another very ah, popular yes. popular uh, aircraft, this one. It's the Lockheed Martin C-130 uh, L-100 Hercules, uh, which set the benchmark for tactical transport operations around the globe when it entered use. And they're currently up to the GA model of that one. Ooh, and number five. And number five, it's the Boeing F-18 Hornet uh, fighter uh, jet this one the f-18g growler um being the latest one for that because uh, of the engine noise it's the engine noise yes and, and uh, number four and number four it's the bell uh bell huey uh one uh, which remains in widespread service and is flown in 36 countries and are on they're currently on the h model and uh, there's uh, over 356 of those in use around the world. Uh, number three. And number three, it's the MIL, or the MIL MI-18, another Russian-built uh, helicopter from the uh, family of the MIL uh, helicopters, another menacing-looking aircraft. Uh, number two. Number two, very popular one, this one, one that uh, everyone should have seen at the air shows around the world at some point. It's the Lockheed Martin F-16. That looks very strange. It's got uh, refueling pods on that. Oh one. right, yes. I guess say because yes. it, it looks like it looks like a like a like a um, an airship. It looks like it's going to not an airship. What am I thinking? It has of? a global fleet, the F sixteen of two thousand two hundred and forty two um, mm. of these combat it looks aircraft. Looks like it's going to go into space. It doesn't. It's good. It's good. Pop, very <laughs> and popular. And finally, at number one, a very popular aircraft or helicopter, I should say. Again, this one, uh, an awesome looking. I had the privilege of seeing one of these um, at uh, Farnborough, I think. Mm. Last year, it's the Sikorsky S70 or UH60, 
Um, this is the uh, Black Hawk uh, yeah. and the Sea Hawk as well, um, which are flown in a total of 23 countries. Yeah. And uh, Sikorsky has modestly nicknamed the type a modern legend. Ooh. Yeah, so these, mm, the Black yeah. Hawk there. Wow. And, well, and that, that Made famous by the film Black Hawk Down. Ah, very good film. Very yes, good it film. is. Yes, I have seen that. I hadn't put two and two together, and made four. I'd made two hundred and thirty-five. <laughs> but uh, so that's uh, that's all for the military news this week. And uh, we have got uh, another piece of news that I've just uh, got online here. This is the latest piece of news that came in today. Oh, um, this was uh, sent to me from David Harris. Uh, those of you who listen to the show will know David Harris. One of our very good friends of the podcast, and uh, he uh, he's on our Facebook. Uh, one of our friends on Facebook. He mm-hmm. he provides a lot of news. A, a, so much news is unreal. Yeah. Um, and this particular news is regarding Cyprus Airways. Oh. Uh, Cyprus Airways uh, have shut down um, after an order to repay state aid. So Cyprus national carrier um, Cyprus Airways has ceased operations after an EU decision uh, saying it must repay over 65 million euros, which is 50 million pounds, in uh, illegal state aid. The EU Commission said the Cypriot government had breached rules on supporting for struggling uh, struggling companies. Uh, Cyprus Airways had repeatedly received aid between 2007 and 2013. The government, which owns 93% of Cyprus Airways, had searched unsuccessfully for outside investors. Uh, The company has ceased being a viable entity and cannot continue to operate, said Finance Minister Harris Georgiadis. Um, He said that there will be alternative arrangements covering Cyprus Airways flights uh, today, uh, which is Saturday. So sad news then today, then uh, a fall of another uh, great airline, Cyprus Airways. Very, very unfortunate indeed. What's this? It's the Commission undertook an in-depth investigation after the government in Nicosia dis- approved repeated state aid packages to the airline, publishing the investigation's results. The Commission was highly critical of Cyprus Airways' restructuring plans, and it said that it was uh, it was based on unrealistic assumptions, uh, and they have failed to address the cause of the airline's difficulties and were taking longer to implement than the EU, EU rules permitted. That is really not good, is it? That's uh, very sad. Well, you t- we t- we you touched on this last week, uh, last week, didn't you? Um, was it last week? We had. Uh, we a- had it, uh, I mean, Ryanair were actually in talks to uh, to buy to buy them out to buy yeah. them out. Yeah. yeah, obviously that didn't. Uh, That's obviously not come to fruition. Didn't oh. go through, which is a shame. So. Thank you to uh, to David Harris uh, mm. for that. Yeah, uh, very uh, very good of you for bringing that to us. Yeah, um, and that was that was uh, that was from the BBC News. It was. Yeah. Uh, just a quick update as well before we finish that news story or the news segment as well is that uh, this one uh, is um, this is from today as well. This has only just come on the news today. Mm. The uh, area uh, Asia. Uh, ah, A320 yes. yeah. um, that sadly crashed uh, with the loss of all lives on board the QZ8501, yeah. uh, which disappeared on the 28th of December. Uh, they've actually uh, retrieved from the seabed the tail of the aircraft that ah, crashed yes. two weeks ago yeah. using inflatable uh, devices right. uh, to raise the tail from the I know they found seabed. it, but... Um, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a very sad story. Um, Still no sign of the black box recorders, they, though. Actually, yeah, they, uh, ah. the story goes here that uh, yesterday uh, afternoon that they detected pings <gasps> from the sensors um, near where the tail was found. 
Um, so they're trying to distinguish where these pings are coming from so they can find and right. retrieve uh, the black boxes. Well, that's good because hopefully it will give us an indication in, uh, as to what actually happened. But uh, the cameras on the uh, unmanned underwater vehicles um, detected the uh, aircraft at a depth of 30 metres, which is 100 feet right. under not, the water. Not, not very deep so it's at not all. Very it's deep very at shallow, all. yeah. It's well sad. Done. So hopefully mm. they'll retrieve... Mm these uh, black box recorders and find out what happened yeah. and uh, to these uh, to this aircraft more, more news about that as soon as we get it yeah and mm. obviously all our thoughts and condolences yeah. go to the family and friends uh, yeah, affected absolutely. by that's yeah. that sad incident yeah so that's where we're going to bring uh, the new segment to a close this oh, week uh, we have got a a segment from Pilot Pip to ah. play you next oh that's nice uh, so uh, if you're ready Matt we'll listen to uh, uh, listen to Pip far away let's go and now it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hello everyone, it's Pilot Pip here. Uh, very happy new year to you all. Now I realise it's been a little time since my last section and my new year's resolution for 2015 is to be a little bit more regular with these sections. So hopefully you'll be hearing a little bit more from me. Anyway, you may recall that last time we started to look at the different types of approaches that we use and we looked at precision approaches, and in particular the ILS, which is a classic example of a precision approach. You'll recall that an ILS has both lateral and vertical guidance given to the pilot. And today I'm going to briefly explain non-precision approaches. Now there are many different types and flavours of non-precision approaches, including those based on GPS signals. And as a general rule, non-precision approaches provide only lateral guidance, i.e. left and right, but no altitude or up and down information. It's left to the pilot to ensure that the aircraft is on the correct vertical profile. A traditional and fairly common type of non-precision approach is the VOR approach. Now, a VOR is a ground-based radio beacon that transmits a signal to the aircraft that can be interpreted to show in which direction or radial from the beacon the signal is being received. So, for example, if an aircraft was due south of a VOR ground station, then the signal received and displayed to the pilot would show that the aircraft is on the 180 radial from the beacon. So that beacon, that's radial coming out due south from the beacon. The pilot can then track that radial all the way up to the ground station, whether it's being transmitted from. Now, if that VOR beacon is situated next to a runway, you can then track that radial all the way up to the runway. And depending on the power output from the beacon, you can potentially track a, a radial from up to 200 miles away. Though when we're talking about non-precision approaches and guidance to a runway, we generally only track these radials from about 10 or 15 miles. And usually the VOR ground station has some distance information transmitted with it, DME information, so we can tell exactly how far we are from the beacon. This then enables us to accurately fly the vertical profile down to the runway. For example, using our approach charts, it will tell us that at 4 miles from the beacon, we need to be at 1,200 feet, and then at 3 miles, we need to be at 900 feet, and so on. So using this information, we can then set up and accurately fly an approach slope down to the runway whilst tracking that radial from the VOR ground station. Now, of course, VORs are not the only type of non-precision approaches. Uh, NDBs, which is slightly older technology, NDB beacons work in a very similar way to VORs, as do localizer-only approaches. 
and the localizer only approach it's sort of a half an ILS where we only use the localizer signal from the ILS to track to the runway and what all types of non-precision approaches have in common is that we fly them down to something called a minimum descent height or minimum descent altitude designed to give an adequate clearance over any terrain and as these are non-precision approaches the MDA, the minimum descent altitude, needs to be a bit more conservative or a bit higher than those we have with an ILS. For example, the decision altitude on an ILS will typically be 200 feet above the ground, whereas with a non-precision approach it will be something double that, 400 feet or higher. So it's because of the, the nature of the approach, because it's not as accurate, we then need to have a bit more leeway over any uh, any terrain or any aerials or trees or buildings things like that now in the real world of everyday flying it's actually fairly uncommon to fly a non-precision approach there are still plenty of them around but particularly when we're talking about the the main busy airports around Europe I would say 90 to 95 percent of the time we fly an ILS approach I think it's probably been several months since I last flew a non-precision or a VOR approach And just a bit of a trivia for you, there are something like 40 VORs in the United Kingdom and the CAA is currently undergoing a process and they're consulting at the moment to start to shut down many of the VOR beacons. So this type of technology, it's been around a while and it still has its uses, but you'll gradually see this disappearing. And I think the CAA intend to shut down about half of the 40 VOR stations. Anyway, that's just a very quick look at non-precision approaches. If you want to know more on this or many other topics, then you can check out Plane Safety Podcast on iTunes. I should be back soon with a, a slightly new look show. So please come on over and have a listen. In the meantime, I wish you safe flying and pleasant journeys. Take care. Pilot Pip signing off. Ah, thank you, Pip, for that segment. Excellent, as always. And hope to hear from some, right, now, uh, some I'm more. Sorry, I'm, I'm glad I, I, uh, I, I popped into the kitchen there for a moment to make sense. So explain to me what ILS is. ILS, Instrument Landing System. Oh. Uh, most all, all aircraft, commercial aircraft use it pretty much right. in the big airports. Oh. It's uh, a radio beam transmitter mm. that uh, provides direction for approaching aircraft. Um, mm. And they tune a receiver into a, an ILS frequency. Right. And it tells... Excuse me, uh, the coffee's repeating. Sorry, there. Uh, it it tells the aircraft <laughs> yes. uh, which which course to fly to the airport. Right, as in you know, so you could literally take your hands off, close your eyes, and the ILS <laughs> would uh, tell the plane exactly where to. I never to want land. an image in my head of the pilot closing his eyes. Frankly, <laughs> it's just just not, not especially whilst landing. But uh, it's a it's a brilliant navigation aid. Right. It really so is, is. It's basically a data stream of information that that the yeah. aircraft then then tra- you know sort of puts into in the, yeah the, com- yeah. It, the the signal sent from the RLS yeah. transmitter on the ground tells yeah. the computer in the plane cool. this is okay. where how you should fly this is where you should be yeah. this is how high you should be um and it, it's it's brilliant it's brilliant Good news. but uh, so thanks a lot for that pip don't forget yeah, you yeah, can uh, you can find pip on uh, iTunes he's on the plane safety podcast you can download his show each week cool. and uh, and yeah 
Pip, uh, he's he's an awesome. He interviewed he? me yesterday. Did he? For his show, yeah. which is kind of exciting. I, I have to ah. say, it's kind of strange being on. Have you been moonlighting? Have you? No, well, you know. <laughs> it, 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 I was gonna say it's kind of weird being on this side of the microphone, but I'm on this side of the microphone anyway. Yeah. But it's it's yeah. kind of weird. You still do it from your kitchen studio. Yes. You don't go to him. No, so. <laughs> no, no. We we're on we we're via Skype. Yes, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he was uh, just quest- of questioning me. Communication are available. Yeah, of course. I was, yes. obviously. <laughs> he was uh, questioning me on my flying. Uh, um, like flying we all que- we all question you on that on oh, an hourly basis. Yes. <laughs> well, that's so, it then. That's it then for episode forty three. Four. Uh, forty four. Sorry, forty four. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we should we just say that uh, I did actually get that wrong at the beginning of the show, yes, but yes. Uh, we edited that. Yes. yes. Can't do it now. Can <laughs> Can't we? Can't do it now. No. no. Brilliant. Well, anyway. we'll we'll leave so, that in yeah. just just to prove that, um, ladies and gentlemen, we do this is wrong. episode number forty four. Yes, thank you for joining us for episode 44 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I've been Carl Stebbings and you've been... Uh, Terrified throughout the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yes, sorry, uh, my name is Matt. Yes, Yes, your name is Matt. Well done, Matt. Yes, yes, thank you for joining us for this show. Hope you've enjoyed the show. And uh, don't forget, send us your comments, your feedback uh, via our website. You can contact us there uh, at www.plaintalkinguk.com. Plain spelled P-L-A-N-E. And you can also find us on Facebook, uh, search for us on there, Plain Talking UK. And don't forget we're on Twitter as well. Mm. Uh, Twitter following is increasing daily. There's, there's new dinglings um, popping up on my phone um, through people following us on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, new, which is good. New dinglings. Dinglings, really? yes, Did you just I know. say that yeah. on, on Oh, I know. Sorry. Anyway. So, yes, yeah. yes, follow us on Twitter as well. And, so before, uh, before Carlos says anything else that's going to get us into serious <laughs> trouble, I think it's time to bring the show to an end. Yes. Thanks very much for listening. And we will see you again next week. Yes, for episode 45. Oh, well done. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.